once again this very special series that we're doing leading up to Avengers Endgame and we started everything off with episode one about the power stone the purple stone and as you can see here let me let me grab my trusted gauntlets for those of you looking for one uh, Thanos was looking for this and I just happen to have all the stones as well so you can see the power stone is right here the purple stone and today we're talking about the space stone the Blue Stone, a.k.a. the Tesseract. And we're going to be doing a little bit of background and everything on that. So I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank you for being here with us on Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash live now DT. And for those of you that listen to the playback of this on our Super Powered Pop archives that we have in our internet radio, which is superpoweredpop.podbean.com and on superpoweredpop.com, you can listen to the show as well. So <clears throat> gonna have to gonna have to sip here <clears throat> and clear clear the throat, be ready for this. This is a big moment. Big moment for Marvel. This is a big moment for the Avengers. This is a big moment for the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, as we know that our heroes are in crisis right now. The Black Panther has died. We have Scarlet Witch has died, Vision died prior to. We also see the death of, and we think the Vision died. I mean, obviously the life was taken out of him and he's all gray now. So Vision is gone. Scarlet Witch is gone. Black Panther is gone. We have also seen Spider-Man go. Star-Lord, Drax, every, you know, most of these are gone. Mantis is gone. And we have essentially lost, I mean, Gamora was, was, was sacrificed for the Soul Stone. So we're seeing an end to so many things here. And it's just so many lives inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We've seen Groot go in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Now Groot is gone again. And so on and so forth. Uh, we've seen Falcon is gone. The Winter Soldier, is, a.k.a. the White Wolf, a.k.a. the best friend of Captain America. <laughs> you know, he is, he is gone as well. And Spider-Man, you know. So, so many characters have left our Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least for now. And we see these heroes in crisis and leading with this statement that I really love here. And, and that is the whatever it takes. That whatever it takes that we saw in, in the previews where you see that, you know, uh, Captain America making the statement of we and I'm going to show you my shirt in just a second. But Captain America making the statement that, you know, we have to, you know, we tell so many people not to move on. Some do, but not us. And then you hear Black Widow say, we owe it to the people not in this room if there's even a slight chance to try. And then you hear Captain America say, we will. And then he says, whatever it takes. And then Ronan, a.k.a. Hawkeye, says, whatever it takes. Black Widow says, whatever it takes. And then it goes to Black, and we see Tony Stark with a goatee similar to the one that you're seeing on my face right now. And he turns his head to the side and he says, whatever it takes. And that's what leads us to that last scene, which looks like they're all putting armor on to step into the quantum realm is what it looks like as we move forward when they're at Avengers headquarters, which is located in upstate New York and X-Men School for Gifted Youngsters. Xavier School for the Gifted, that's also located in upstate New York. So somebody somewhere in the comics had some love for upstate New York, and I thank you for that because 
growing up as a kid and even now at 33 years old, I tell myself that the X-Men are just up the road and the Avengers are very close by. So if I ever want to be one or the other, I could do it because it's a simple drive and you have to believe in something. You have to have faith, teamwork, and you just have to have that inner strength. And I feel like I have that. So Avengers, since you need a couple more people, call me up. I'm ready. And, and I just so happen to have this, this thing that I heard a lot of people are looking for. So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if this would help. I don't know if this would help defeat Thanos. But if it does, just let me know. I think it's called the Gauntlet. Something about infinity. Not quite sure. But, <laughs> but I, uh, I would be happy to help. That would be an amazing, amazing feat. So, this is episode two once again. Every single day leading up to the movie starting on September or September starting on April 21st all the way to April 26th the official release date of the movie even though I know it comes out Thursday night I am doing episodes on the Marvel Cinematic Universe each of them dedicated to a stone as we know that these stones together created the Infinity Gauntlet and these stones together offered one simple snap that took out half of all living life uh, all living life of all life everywhere in the universe, every planet ever created, all life everywhere, half of it gone with a simple, simple snap. And so with that being said, that's how Avengers Infinity War ended. It's what set our heroes where they are right now. And so I thought it was only right if I was going to do a series leading into Avengers Endgame that we would spend some time with each of the stones in this special from Super Powered Pop with Dan Satora called We've Got Stones. <coughs> and so we've started with the Power Stone, and they're in the order that Thanos is grabbing them in this Avengers Infinity War movie. So he gets power first. That was episode one. Today is space. And then we'll do the reality, the soul, the time, and the mind stones as we move forward. And as I said, because these stones all together created such a change to our Marvel Cinematic Universe, I thought it was only right to not just do a, a series leading into Avengers Endgame, but to have each day be connected to each of the Infinity Stones as we get set for what is to come in Avengers Endgame and the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So thank you so much for tuning in. Appreciate it. And now it's time to do a little background on the Tesseract. But before we do that on the Tesseract, a.k.a. Space Stone, before we do that, I want to show you this. So for each show, not only is each of the six shows dedicated to one of the stones in order of when Thanos got them, but it also is significant what T-shirt I wear for each of the shows. So the Power Stone, I wore my Guardians of the Galaxy shirt that has part of the Guardians on the front and the rest on the back from Volume 1. And I wore that shirt because that is the movie where we first see the Power Stone inside of the orb. But the first stone to ever show up in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the Tesseract, the AKA Blue Stone, the Space Stone. And so that mo that shows up in the movie Captain America, the First Avenger. So today I have chosen to wear my Captain America shirt. So as you can see, it's a nice, it's a nice design here. You know, it's, it's black and gold. And we have Captain America just really through this and he's all over the shirt but it's still like tasteful and if you look at it quick you don't really like see it right away so I think it's really cool and you can see on my shoulder <coughs> that it says Captain America and obviously you know we're seeing this. this is one of my favorite shirts so each of my shirts that I wear for each of these shows is significant to when we meet 
these stones. And so this shirt obviously being the ushering in of the Tesseract in Captain America, the first Avenger, it's the first time we ever see any of the Infinity Stones. And we see the stone when it is held by and used to make weapons by that character that we have come to know as the Red Skull. The Red Skull, the main villain, not Hitler, the Red Skull, the main villain of Captain America, one of his biggest villains, and obviously in Captain America, the first Avenger, we get to see the Red Skull wielding the Tesseract, and this Tesseract essentially, when he holds it and tries to harness its power and just becomes overcome by the power and the desire, and you know, as the stories go with the Nazis and back in time, whether you believe it or not, that they tried to, you know, open portals to another world, portals to hell, that they worked with black magic, that Hitler was kind of doing everything he could to have infinite power and win the war and whatnot. You know, if you believe in all that stuff and you believe in the craziness of it all, you know, there is this notion. And that's why when we see these movies, we see a lot of Nazi connection to, you know, these, these testing of these different pieces and, you know, trying to see if, if any of this works and if this otherworldly stuff is here. And we see it in not just this movie, but we see it in Hellboy and, you know, the original <coughs> Hellboy movie with, I think it's Ron Perlman. And so we see it back then with him, and we obviously see it in this movie with Captain America and the Red Skull as he is holding on to this Tesseract, and he does not die. You know, and that was the question is, you know, did he essentially get absorbed by the Tesseract? Did he go somewhere into space absorbed by this? And that answer is yes, because we found out in Avengers Infinity War that he is alive. He is just alive but suspended in this different type of reality and having to guard the soul stone even though he'll never be able to touch it and then a very similar pose happens in Avengers Infinity War when we see Loki holding on to the Tesseract but if you look at Loki and you look at the Red Skull even though the Red Skull considered himself to be powerful and he is a powerful villain like I said against Captain America we see that his hands are starting to get absorbed into this and he is absorbed into it while he's touching it. Whereas Loki can hold on to it, not be absorbed with his trickery. He could make it disappear and reappear. And we see him holding on to the Tesseract and his hands, his fingers are unscathed. He is not hurt at all. We obviously know that he comes from space. We know that he comes from another place and, you know, is not an Asgardian, but, you know, but uh, but has come from space and, and essentially has a lot of different powers and his ability to do a lot of different things. We'll get into that in just a little bit. So I just find it interesting, though, very similar pose. And here the Red Skull is holding on to it, trying to take it, and it takes him. Here Loki is giving it to Thanos, and we see that he is completely untouched by it. And a closer look at the Tesseract is right here. One of the most beautiful pieces of the Marvel Cinematic Universe this cube that essentially holds within it what looks to be a giant storm inside of this Tesseract, and right in the center of it is is that space stone, which is giving it its blue color and obviously giving it its power. So I want to do a little bit of background on the Tesseract for those that don't know, and even those that do know, to kind of take a look at this. So Nick Fury said this to Steve Rogers. Quote, he thought what we think. The Tesseract could be the key to unlimited sustainable energy. 
that's something the world sorely needs, end quote. It's also called the cube. It was a crystalline cube-shaped containment vessel for the space stone, one of the six infinity stones that predate the universe and possess unlimited energy. It was used by various, various ancient civilizations before coming into Asgardian hands, kept inside Odin's vault. Eventually, it was brought to Earth and left in Tonsberg, where it was guarded by devout Asgardian worshippers. In 1942, the Tesseract was retrieved by Johann Schmidt, the leader of Hydra, who used the Tesseract to power enhanced weaponry, which you and I spoke about just a few minutes ago. So I'll take a look here, and, uh, and while I'm talking about the Tesseract, we'll put the Tesseract up there for those of you to see. So, following Schmidt's defeat—oh, I want to get back to this, so— he used it for power-enhanced weaponry in order to defeat the Allies during World War II. Following Schmidt's defeat at the hands of Captain America in 1945, which also signified the end of World War II in real life, the Tesseract fell into Arctic waters where it was recovered by Howard Stark. And as we know in this, we have the dance that Captain America Steve Rogers owes to Peggy Carter, Agent Peggy Carter. And she's talking to him. Well, he decides with the Tesseract to nosedive the plane and to go down with this Tesseract so that nobody will ever find it and so that nobody could ever use it for bad ever again. He decides to give his own life, not knowing that he would essentially be frozen in time and then brought back to life by Nick Fury and the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in modern times. So, wishing to harness his power, Stark helped found Project Pegasus, to whom he relinquished custody of the Tesseract. Marvell and undercover Kree joined Pegasus and harnessed the Tesseract's power to create the light speed engine to assist the Skrulls in their way against in their war against the Kree, and took possession of the Tesseract, storing it in her laboratory in orbit. And so we learn that from Captain Marvel. That, you know, the Tesseract has a connection to Howard Stark. We learn that. We learn its connection to Captain America. And then years and years later, very recently here in 2019, we see the Captain Marvel movie, which goes back in time, back to the 90s. And we realize that the Tesseract was in the hands of Marvell, and the Project Pegasus is what she was using for the lightspeed engine to help the Skrulls. And she stored it in her laboratory, as I said. Jan Rog killed Lawson, causing pilot Carol Danvers to destroy the engine as she was doused in Tesseract energy. Years later, Danvers recovered the Tesseract from Lawson's lab and relinquished custody of it to S.H.I.E.L.D. After, But she was given her powers from the Tesseract. Now, that's different from the comic book. In the comic book, Marvell is a male, and he has these powers of Captain Marvel, and he essentially, you know, when he, I, I think that, you know, she is close with him, and I, I don't know the extreme backstory of it, but essentially, you know, her blood mixes with his, and she is exposed to, you know, his blood, so to speak. She's exposed to his powers, and as he is being defeated, so to speak, she gains the powers. In the movie, it's different. She takes this engine, and she destroys it, and gets hit with the Tesseract energy and so the space stone actually gives her her powers and she because she has Cree blood half Cree blood 
you know, and then she gets her powers and all this. Well, and then, you know, the Kree said, you know, we gave you the blood, so we did it to you. So she didn't know that these were her powers. She didn't know that, you know, she had power over them. And you really should see Captain Marvel. I mean, it's different from the comics, but at the same time, it creates such a unique universe and uh, such a unique storyline and Marvel being a woman instead. And instead of being exposed to Marvel, she's exposed to the Tesseract energy. And it remains with S.H.I.E.L.D. until 2012 when it's stolen by Loki, who used the Tesseract to open a wormhole and allow the Shatari to invade New York City via space, because it is the Space Stone, so you can create these wormholes as you see Thanos in Avengers Infinity War step through time wherever he is, you know, essentially just not step through time, but to leave a planet and walk into another one. Following the Battle of New York, the Tesseract was acquired by Thor, who brought it and Loki back with him to Asgard. After using the Tesseract to repair the Rainbow Bridge, Odin tasked Heimdall, the realm's gatekeeper, who is played by Idris Elba, with the task of protecting the Tesseract. However, after Loki took the throne and disguised himself as Odin, he charged Heimdall with treason, forcing the gatekeeper to flee while the Tesseract was placed within Odin's vault once more, and eventually Loki was able to get it. During the destruction of Asgard, Loki noticed the Tesseract and took it for himself, before the vault, along with the planet, was destroyed, Thanos acquired the Tesseract when he went on to the Asgardian ship that was trying to save the remaining Asgardians. And that's where we see <coughs> this scene of Loki giving the Tesseract, a.k.a. Space Stone, to Thanos while he is aboard this ship where Thanos and his children have essentially killed, you know, the whatever remains of Asgard, including Heimdall, leaving Thor alive, but eventually killing Loki after this. So very, very interesting. And, uh, you know, it's called the, the Tesseract is called the, the Jewel of Odin's Treasure Room by Johann Schmidt. And, you know, it's, it's just this, this, you know, I think the Tesseract, the cool thing about it is its connection to the Marvel Cinematic Universe just continues to date farther and farther back. What's up, Jeremy? How we doing? So Jeremy Ginsburg, and I want to put a special thanks out, uh, you know, while we're saying this here, a special thanks to, <coughs> and we put it in the information on here, but a special thanks to Frightmare Farms, the Museum of Intrigue, and Painting with a Twist, DeWitt, for proudly presenting this episode to you. So, so for presenting this special of We've Got Stones, the six-part special. So I want to thank them all once again. The Museum of Intrigue is located on the third floor of Destiny, USA, with over 25 different experiences. You'll be able to go there over and over and over again and try something different, and games are ever-changing. So even if you played every single game, there would still be something new for you. They're always testing, experimenting, and bringing something new to the table, and I love it. Had a great time with the Syracuse Stallions. Shout out to Josh Winans, Lloyd Parkman III, as well as Chris Gilks and Ryan Caldwell for joining me on that mission. You can go back and watch it on the homepage of wakeupcalldt.com and on youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt. So big shout out to the Museum of Intrigue, Third Floor, Destiny USA in Syracuse. Frightmare Farms out in Palermo, New York near Fulton. They will have a summer special, and of course they will have their fun during the Halloween time and during October. And I want to also give some love out to Painting with a Twist, which is on Erie Boulevard in DeWitt, New York. It is a great place to bring a date, great place to bring mom for Mother's Day, great place to just hang out and have a good time, great place to bring the kids 
and we're going to have a lot of fun there. Got a lot of cool things coming up with Nicole and the entire team over at Painting with a Twist. So thank you to each of them for helping make We've Got Stones possible, this, this wonderful thing that we get to do here on the broadcast. So I want to, I want to obviously uh, thank them very much so for their love and support and for doing everything that they've done to make this possible. So a big thanks to the teams at Painting with a Twist on Erie Boulevard in DeWitt, New York, as well as Museum of Intrigue on the third floor, and, of course, the Frightmare Farms that we have the summer event coming up and obviously the winter. And this is episode two, the Space Stone of We've Got Stones, talking about a bunch of things here. And I, I ask you all to weigh in. Jeremy, feel free. Uh, I know that this means a lot to him. But what I was saying about the Tesseract that we see once again in the in the Captain America, the first Avenger movie, where this shirt signifies, as I'm wearing it today, Captain America, one of my favorite shirts. And, you know, to go all the way back to World War II and Nazis and trying to find weapons to create this stuff, and then having, you know, the absorption of the Red Skull, that he doesn't die, that he essentially goes off into space, and then we re-meet him in Avengers Infinity War, and he talks to Thanos and Gamora about, you know, I too once tried to wield an Infinity Stone, and that he was punished for it, and essentially brought to guard the Soul Stone on Volmir. And, you know, so he's still alive. And it was one of the greatest reveals ever in any movie, any series, not just Marvel, anything for me, because I wanted to see the Red Skull again. I wanted to believe he wasn't dead. And he was one of the prediction pieces that I had going into the movie. Like, I really hope the Red Skull. And it was one of those jaw dropping, like, they just brought him back. Like, I, I, I like. It was one of those things in that movie where I was like, if the rest of the movie's terrible, I will always appreciate this. You know, that when you go to a movie and you get what you want and you just have that feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, how many movies have I been to and I wanted this to happen or this and it didn't. And then here's this one opportunity where something really cool happened that I wanted to see happen. And you're able to kind of bounce back and see that. Shout out to Rob Drummond. One of my family members, one of my best friends, and uh, watching here. I know Rob is a big fan of the comic book movies, and so is Mr. Mark Jones. And uh, we definitely have to see this movie, gentlemen. I'm going to see it like nine times, but definitely want Rob to come out and hang out with us and, and see this. So just talking about the Tesseract, you know, in episode two of We've Got Stones, each episode of the six episodes of this six-part superpowered pop series, zeroing in on one of the stones and the background on the stones, as we know that each of these stones together are what changed the world forever and what changed the universe forever. And now as the Avengers try to change it back and make it better and to try and save the lives of those that we've lost, they're looking for these stones. So I thought, what better way to go about all this but to dedicate each of the episodes leading into Avengers Endgame to the stones. And so they're in the order that Thanos got them. So once again, if you go back and you look at it, it's about finding the Power Stone, Episode 1, Episode 2 right now, Space. Then we'll go to Red, the Reality Stone. We'll go to Orange, the Soul Stone. Then we'll go to Green, the Time Stone, and Yellow, the Mind Stone as we settle things up here, getting ready for Avengers Endgame. And just to, you know, go through the history here and, you know, the, the possession and Pegasus and all that, if you haven't seen Captain Marvel, you know, shout out, there's going to be spoilers here, but I want to uh, make this known. So following World War II, 
Howard Stark, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man's father, studied the Tesseract, recording his research in a notebook. Believing that the energy within the Tesseract would be beneficial to mankind, Stark was instrumental once again in the creation of Project Pegasus, which I spoke about, a joint venture between S.H.I.E.L.D., NASA, and the United States Air Force, tasked with studying and harnessing the Tesseract's energy. Stark gave custody of the Tesseract to Pegasus, the Cree scientist Marvell, who had taken on the guise of a human and was calling herself Dr. Wendy Lawson, joined the project with the goal of harnessing the Tesseract's power to create that light speed engine that I spoke about for the Skrull refugees under her protection. She was trying to help the Skrulls find a new planet and get away from the Kree, and Captain Marvel was a part of the Kree's guard. So the Tesseract was eventually relocated to Marvel's orbital laboratory. But before Captain Marvel, the 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 one that we know here, Brie Larson's character, when Marvel had all of this and she was trying to help the Skrulls and get them to safety from the Kree war that the Kree were, you know, the Kree was just trying to basically get to the Skrull and kill them and just eradicate them from the universe wherever they went to, that Marvel was under this guise as Wendy Lawson, uh, Dr. Wendy Lawson, and that's when she first met Carol Danvers, a.k.a. what became Captain Marvel. And Carol Danvers was, you know, obviously a, a pilot and a very talented pilot and had no idea that she was helping out a member of the Cree. And then ironically, or, or you know, well, that, yeah, that she was, because she found out what the, you know, Marvell found out what the Cree were doing. And she decided, even though she was a member of, a, of the Cree, to save the Skrulls and protect the Skrulls. And the irony of the fact that, you know, she eventually is killed by the Kree, Marvell is, and then Captain Marvel becomes a member of the Kree, has Kree blood, half human blood, half Kree blood, and then is lied to, doesn't know she's human, and has to go through this whole journey through a movie that's very different than the ones that we're used to seeing in the backstories and whatnot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So getting back to the story of it all, though, the Tesseract was relocated to Marvel's orbital laboratory. It was untouched for six years. When Carol Danvers and Nick Fury arrived at the lab, they placed the Tesseract in a Happy Days lunchbox, a lunchbox attempting to smuggle it before the Star Force, which Carol Danvers was originally a part of, arrived, demanding the artifact. Goose uh, Firkin, or Flurkin, a Flurkin, it looks like a cat, but it's not, a Flurkin that can, I think they can eat entire universes or solar systems they can like they can literally put you in a different universe and they can travel throughout all this stuff and when they open their mouth they look like this giant octopus a lot more to the flurkin than meets the eye it swallowed the tesseract in the movie captain marvel while danvers led her former allies on a div diversionary chase for the empty lunchbox once the kree and scrawls left earth goose regurgitated the tesseract on fury's desk but there's a question to that. Following its regurgitation, the Tesseract returned to S.H.I.E.L.D.'s possession with the World Security Council ordering S.H.I.E.L.D. to use the cube to develop advanced weapons and better defend the Earth from any alien threats. And that brings us into the first Avengers movie where they learn, and this is kind of Loki's trickery and trying to get them to turn on each other, they learn that the Tesseract, which was supposed to be destroyed, was actually getting used to make weapons and this is where the Avengers start to get upset. Captain America knows, you know, kind of PTSD that he had tried to get rid of the Tesseract. And now he finds out that Nick Fury and company has the Tesseract and they're trying to do something 
with it. So just very crazy here. So where Thor defeated the Destroyer, humanity finally realized they were not alone in the universe. Eric Selvig was assigned by Fury to research and study the Tesseract with hopes of unlocking its power, just as Schmidt had, Johann Schmidt. <coughs> Pardon me. Later, the Tesseract was moved to the Joint Dark Energy Mission Facility in the Mojave Desert, where Fury also positioned Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye, to keep guard over Selvig and the Tesseract. In 2012, Loki came into contact with Thanos, powerful warlord, and the master of Shatari. Thanos had already been seeking the Tesseract in order to retrieve the Space Stone, and Loki promised to retrieve it from Earth and give it to him in exchange for the army that he would use to destroy Earth. Through manipulation of the Tesseract's energy, Thanos teleported Loki to the Joint Dark Energy Mission facility, where he killed several S.H.I.E.L.D. agents and enthralled Eric Selvig, Clint Barton, and other agents under the power of the Mind Stone by giving Loki the Scepter and the Scepter having the Mind Stone within it. Loki revealed his plans to use the Tesseract to enslave and rule over the human race, stole it and escaped. The energy from the portal destroyed the facility while Loki took the Tesseract to an undisclosed location and so on and so forth. We eventually see that Black Widow uses Loki's Scepter to reverse the effects of the device, shutting down the Tesseract, closing the portal. Following the invasion, Thor returned Loki and the Tesseract to Asgard. Though the, the World Security Council disapproved, Fury defended the decision to allow Thor to take the Tesseract, thinking that it was safer in space. And then after the return to Tesseract, to show, or after the re return to Asgard, I should say, this Tesseract, which I want to give you another nice view of here, Going back into space, we we see that this Tesseract, uh, after its return to Asgard, Thor gave the Tesseract to Heimdall. The all-seeing Heimdall used it to repair the Bifrost Bridge so Asgardians could protect all the inhabitants of the Nine Realms endangered by the Marauders. Later, the Tesseract was locked in Odin's vault so no one could use it without Odin's permission. Hela noticed the Tesseract as she was walking in the vault, and she admitted the power of the cube. During Ragnarok, Loki, as I said before, took it. And then we are where we are today. So it has the Infinity Stone, the one for space. If used correctly, the Tesseract can open gateways to any part of the universe and provide interdimensional travel. So we can go to any part of the universe with this space stone. Literally any part of the universe. And you can go to different dimensions. Taking the Tesseract physically, Red Skull was suddenly transported to Vormir, where the Soul Stone chooses him as a Stone Keeper. Thanos was able to manipulate the Tesseract from afar to open a portal that transported Loki. And that's kind of interesting, how without having the Tesseract, without having control of the Space Stone, Thanos was still able to manipulate the Space Stone. And then Eric Selvig, with its power, was able to construct a device that opened an enormous portal to the Shatari. Many believe it has an unlimited source of energy because it draws cosmic energy from space. It appears to possess intelligence or will. When Eric Selvig was studying it, he noted that he, it behaves as though it has awareness. So is there, there is the notion that this space stone is actually, you know, actually has a mind to it, so to speak, that it is a living type of thing and not just simply a stone of power, but that it essentially it has an awareness when the power used to harness its energy is cut off, the Tesseract turns the power back on. The Tesseract was able to recognize Schmidt as unworthy to possess the Space Stone. 
while it was op- and, and which is why it opened the portal to Vormir and essentially took Johann Schmidt, aka Red Skull, and moved him. The exact source of its cosmic power is un- is not known, but the Tesseract apparently can be manipulated from that endpoint as well. The Tesseract emitted low levels of gamma radiation, which interfered with Selvig's methods to harness its energy source and later allowed Shield to track its movements. We all know that gamma radiation is what bred the ushering in of the Hulk inside of Bruce Banner. As a power source, it can be used to power objects and artifacts of incredible scale, such as the Bifrost Bridge. A single spark of its power was enough to create a small explosion. When Marvel's Tesseract power, powered light speed engine exploded, the released cosmic force imbued Carol Danvers with the ability to manipulate energy itself. She could, for example, use energy to propel herself through the air and emit energy blasts from her hands. Hydra was able to use the Tesseract to power advanced vehicles and weapons of mass destruction, including guns, tanks, and bombs that vaporize their targets. It melted through steel on contact, although it could be held using gloves for a short time or when handled in special containment units. It can also be handled directly by exceptionally powerful beings, such as Captain Marvel, Goose, the Flurkin, Loki, Ebony Maw, and Thanos himself. Many people have tried to duplicate the type of energy that the Tesseract emits. The only people known to have successfully harnessed the Tesseract's energy. I try to put Tesseract and harness in the same sentence, the same word. The only people known to have successfully harnessed the Tesseract's energy were Marvell, Johan Schmidt, a.k.a. Red Skull, and Arnim Zola. Zola developed a method to siphon off and store its energy with a Tesseract battery to power weapons. Former Hydra scientists were able to replicate the power of the Tesseract and create a powerful laser weapon for the Peruvian government. Marvell developed the Lightspeed Engine to help the Skrulls. And when the Lightspeed Engine exploded, we saw once again what it did to Captain Marvel. Howard Stark discovered a way to make an element with a similar type of energy, but because of the technological limitations of the era, he was not able to bring his discovery to fruition. Years later, Tony Stark was able to make the element based on his father's research, the element was used as the core for a new arc reactor that would also stop Stark's palladium poisoning. So the Tesseract has such a deep, rich history inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that it is truly one of a kind. We learn about all these different stones, and we see all of these different stones, but the Tesseract, the space stone itself... We see it with Howard Stark and Tony Stark eventually creating the arc reactor, that blue glow, harnessing harnessing the energy for good, using it to power the Iron Man suit, using it for his powers, using it to save his life. And then we see the Red Skull and what he was using it for, for weaponry and Hydra. We see it hit the body of Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers, making her Captain Marvel, giving her her powers making her one of the most powerful beings in all of the universe. We see Thanos wield it and what he has done with it. We've seen it on Asgard. We've seen it with Loki. We've seen it all over the place. And we've seen it with the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents utilizing it to make weaponry. This stone has the deepest history of any of the stones in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The Mind Stone is with Vision. We meet it in Avengers Age of Ultron. The Soul Stone we don't meet until Avengers Infinity War on Vormir. 
we don't meet the reality stone until Thor the Dark World, which, but it was contained really within that movie. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 contained the Power Stone. The Time Stone was inside of the movie Doctor Strange. But the, the Infinity Stone to bounce from movie to movie, to be in the Avengers movie, to be in the Iron Man movies, to be in Thor, to be in so many different places, is the Tesseract, is the Space Stone. This stone is most deeply rooted in everything that we know about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is the second stone obtained by Thanos in putting together the Infinity Gauntlet as we see power first and space second, then reality, then the Soul Stone, then he goes and gets the Time Stone, and then the Mind Stone, and the Mind Stone being the biggest in the center here because with his mind, he uses all the stones together to make the decision of wiping out half of all life all over the universe. Tremendous, tremendous background of all of this. And the Tesseract, you know, just doing this show. And that's the thing, you know, these, these shows are meant to lead into Avengers Endgame. They're meant to discuss the Marvel Cinematic Universe, to hit on points we might have never seen or maybe we forgot. But you learn so much. I'm learning going back and reading about all this history. And I want to thank everybody that put together this Marvel research. And, you know, I want to uh, thank the Marvel Cinematic Universe.fandom.com that has really, you know, given me a lot of these talking points to be able to go back to and discuss because it, it just really goes a long way. And, you know, it means a lot to me that people put in so much effort. And we really are a family. You know, I might meet, never meet any of these people, but. We care so much about this world. We care so much about these comic books that become these movies. And for a lot of us, whether we admit it or not, you know, we would want it to be real life. You know, we want to believe we could be Spider-Man or Black Widow. We want to believe we could be Captain Marvel or Iron Man or, or Captain America or Thor or Valkyrie. And, you know, it's it's just the beauty of these stories, just really bringing out the kid in all of us, bringing out the hero in all of us and causing us to take the pages of a simple book and turn it into something realistic. So I think it's beautiful. I think it's great. And, you know, doing these shows, it's a background for you. It's a catch up course for you. It's kind of a crash course and getting you ready for Avengers Endgame. But it just as much helps me as it helps you. So going through each of these stones gives me the opportunity <clears throat> to share with you a return through the history of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And today with the Space Stone, just really coming to that realization that I didn't think about enough, you know, and that the realization that the Space Stone, like I said, is it's the one stone that was used just everywhere. I mean, it was the only stone to bounce from so many different movies, so many different storylines, you know, that it directly is connected to the creation of Iron Man, directly connected to the story of Captain America, directly connected to Thor, you know, and these are our Avengers that we first are meeting, and then, you know, directly connected to S.H.I.E.L.D. and creating these weapons, and directly connected to Red Skull, and why he's on Vormir, you know, being the keeper of the Soul Stone, and directly connected to Thanos, and directly connected to Loki, and the first, times, first time ever, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that our Avengers assemble in the first Avengers movie. So, and then without that, and without what Tony did, and without the technology, there's no Ultron. 
So it just continues to breathe this. And that's why Tony said that he feels this tremendous amount of guilt and kind of pain on his shoulders because he said, you know, he kind of started this engine, you know, because of what he did with the arc reactor, because what he used with this element that came from the Tesseract, because, you know, he didn't even know that he was, you know, he was essentially using the space stone to make his arc reactor and, and to harness this power and to harness all this stuff that it, that essentially what Tony Stark did, what Iron Man did was show Thanos that there are powerful beings on earth that are capable of understanding the power and what makes things up and capable of using them and creating things. So, you know, Tony Stark feels this tremendous amount of guilt for essentially becoming Iron Man and starting this chain of events that brought Thanos to, you know, brought basically brought the Avengers to Thanos's attention and made Thanos want to kind of carry out this thing in such a big way and to do it the way that he did it. So, you know, essentially Robert Downey Jr.'s character, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, is dealing with this, I created this hero to because uh, of, you know, what Stark Industries was doing, selling my weapons to these people and to the highest bidder and just doing things the wrong way. And so I essentially, you know, put these weapons together and, you know, and did this in a way to create, you know, I, I put these weapons together or, you know, I, I, or I, I created Iron Man to take back my weapons. I created Iron Man to write the ship that was broken by people within my company. And I did it for good. And I did it for the arc reactor. And I did it to, you know, help the world and to help me and to keep me alive and to protect the universe and protect the earth and, and, and to provide this, this source of energy. And I did all of these things for the good of mankind, not knowing that it would bring so much attention to Thanos and eventually destroy half of mankind and, you know, take away his friends and take away Spider-Man, who obviously became like a protege. And so, you know, he's just really honestly dealing with the, the fallout of what he thought was a good thing, turning into, you know, basically sticking out like a sore thumb to Thanos. So the Space Stone is so rich in tradition and so rich in the history and so rich in the MCU that I'm really happy we got to do this show. Make sure you join me Tuesday, April 23rd for the third episode, which will deal with the Red Stone, the Reality Stone, a.k.a. the Ether, And that comes from Thor The Dark World. Thank you so much for tuning in, for listening and watching. God bless and have a great day. And you can find this video and the audio show on superpoweredpop.com. And on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, find us at superpoweredpop on all of them. Be well, take care, and make sure to do, be prepared for, whatever it takes.